Well, today's a good day, and it's a special day. It's a special day because the people of God are, are together to worship. It's a special day because it's the first day of the week, the day that our Lord rose from the dead. And of course, for many, many people around the world today, it's a special day because it's a day that I don't know who invented the tradition, didn't come from the Bible, but somebody started a tradition to remember the day Jesus was born, which is indeed a very special day. Um, and it's probably something we should think about on many more days. If today is a day that you think of that in a special way, it's a day we should think about uh, many more times than just once a year. Think about how magnificent it is that God became flesh and came to dwell among us. Do you ever imagine what it would have been like to be there, to be there in that little town when that young couple came and she pregnant, nobody would have them. And so they ended up where really animals should be living, not people anyways. And then that baby was born. Imagine if you were there. Imagine if you kind of watched curiously as you did whatever business you were doing around town. Imagine maybe one day you saw some visitors from the east who came to visit and they went in and they came bearing gifts and they celebrated and they talked with this young mother. And maybe, maybe if you were there, you might have, because of you were so curious, snuck up close to the house to listen in on the conversation and been pretty amazed to hear the things that they spoke about. And maybe after those wise men left, maybe you would have knocked on the door and said, excuse me, would it be okay if I see the baby? And probably Mary would have welcomed you in would be my guess based on everything we see about her. Maybe not. I don't know. Newborn moms aren't totally stoked about everybody coming in and messing around with their baby, but maybe in this case it would be an exception. And you'd see the baby. And after hearing all these things, maybe you would have said something like, you know, I didn't get it, but I get it now. I, I kept hearing that song people were singing and I didn't understand what the deal was. What song Mary might have said? She said, you know, Mary, did you know? And she said, yes, I knew. Why do people keep asking me if I knew? I knew. And after she scolded you, you got to recover. And maybe you would have said what everybody says about babies, all babies. Well, not everybody, but this is a common thing to say about babies if you want to get in good with the mom. Oh, he's just perfect. He's just perfect. And if you had been there and if you had said that, perhaps Mary might have looked at you with a wistful smile and maybe a tear in her eye and said, no, he's not. Not yet. Are you there in Hebrews chapter 2? Read verse 9 with me. We see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate, or some translations say necessary, that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Do you hear that? Was Jesus perfect when he first came into the world? Apparently not, because this scripture says he had to be made perfect through his sufferings. Keep going. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, speaking about Jesus, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 says, During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of 
his reverence. Notice it says during his earthly life. In other words, this isn't only about the moment when Jesus died, but all throughout his life. He offers up these prayers and cries and appeals to God. Verse 8, he says, although he was the son, the son of God, the ruler of all things, he learned obedience from what he suffered all throughout his life. From the time that he was first born, going all the way to the cross, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. When Jesus first came into the world, he was not yet perfect. He had to be made perfect. One more, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7, verse 25, here in the midst of a conversation about who are the people that will bring us to God? What priest, what person could bring us? And Jesus is the answer in Hebrews 7. Verse 25, it says, Therefore he, that is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Well, what makes him able to save completely? What makes him able to intercede for those who uh, come to him? Verse 28, for the law appoints his high priest, men who are weak, but the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son. Well, what's so special about the son? The son who has been perf perfected forever. When Jesus first came into the world, he wasn't perfect but he became perfect through the life that he lived and the death that he died. What if I had just said that and had no scripture to back it up? What would y'all have said? Well, what if I had just said that? Started off, y'all, Jesus wasn't perfect. How dare you? We need, we got to fix this. All this talk about correct and false doctrine. Today's the day, y'all. It's game time. We got to stop this. To say Jesus wasn't perfect is a disturbing, actually, statement to make and to think. Jesus wasn't perfect. The scriptures say so. Jesus wasn't perfect. Did you notice in what way he wasn't perfect? Actually, we should back it up a little bit and define our term a tiny bit. What does the word perfect even mean? What does the word perfect even mean? Now, T, I don't know about you. For me, um, the way I think of perfection is I've done nothing wrong in a certain uh, category or, or behavior or circumstance, right? So in other words, looking backwards, there's a flawless record. Was Jesus perfect in that way? I should say so. Did he ever do anything wrong? Absolutely not. In the sense of having a flawless record, having never done anything wrong up and from looking backwards, Jesus was perfect. But here's the interesting, the Bible word uh, perfect or perfection actually doesn't so much look backward to say, oh, you have no flaws, the word perfect is looking forward or looking to the end result. There's actually kind of a family of Greek words that are translated various words. I'm going to show you one. If you want to turn to Hebrews 5, I'll show you one here in just a second. Hebrews chapter 5. But the notion of being perfect is to reach the end result as you ought to be, right? A lot of kids getting toys today. Some little guy gets a Lego set. Well, each one of those Lego pieces are perfect by themselves. They're fine. There's no flaw in them. There's nothing wrong with them. But when he pulls out that bag... Uh, or she pulls out that bag of Lego pieces. Is that perfect? No. You got to take the instructions. You got to put the pieces together appropriately. And then it's perfect. It's complete. It's been put together as it was intended to be. That's what perfection means. So much so that sometimes the word and the, the Greek word or the family of Greek words is a word telos, telos, the end of a something. You might think about a telescope, a telescope. You're looking out to the end. That's the idea here. Perfect means you get to the desired end result. You're made complete. You're what you ought to be at the, at the end point. Look at Hebrews chapter five and look how this word is used in Hebrews five and verse 13. 
It says, now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness. He's talking about Christians who have not gotten all they need to get yet. Uh, now, everyone who lives on milk, Hebrews 5 and verse number 13. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. All right, what's the condition of the person in verse 13? Inexperienced and an infant. Verse 14. But solid food is for the telos, for the perfect. Or yours might say actually something different. The mature. That same word. And you get that, right? Is a baby perfect? Well, they have no flaws. At least, I mean, you know, they're, they're fine. They haven't done anything wrong. But boy, they sure are loud at all the worst times. And they're very impatient. And they make messes without taking care of themselves in the facilities. And they can't talk or walk. And they don't contribute to society. So I ask you again, is a baby perfect? No. It hasn't reached maturity. It hasn't reached its telos. It hasn't become complete, perfect, what it's supposed to be. Does that make sense? So when the scriptures say Jesus wasn't perfect until he went through his sufferings, until he learned obedience, until he went to the cross, it means that he had not reached the desired end that God had in mind for him. He hadn't completed what God had laid out for him. And therefore, he was not perfect. He had to be made perfect through what he did. And we might add his perfection was not um, that he was a bad son of God, but his perfection was to be our savior. Did you notice that? Go back to Hebrews chapter two and verse 10. Hebrews two and verse 10 says, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God for whom and through whom all things exist should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. The incompleteness or the imperfection of Jesus wasn't with him intrinsically, but it was with, he wasn't what we needed him to be yet. And all the things that Jesus did, his whole vocation of his ministry, his growing up first for 30 years, his, his ministry by the power of the Spirit, the things that he taught, the miracles that he wrought, all the things that occurred in Jesus' life, all the way to the cross and past the grave to the resurrection, all of that made him perfect. Whenever Jesus first came, he wasn't perfect, but he became perfect by the end. Now, this is important. Oh, one, it should make us actually really appreciate Jesus, all that he went through for our sake, all that he did to save us from sin and death. But there's something else. There's another reason why I think the, the perfecting of Jesus is so important for us to consider. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. This is right after those verses I just read to you to, to kind of define the notion of perfection. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 tells us what it is that Jesus is saving us to. Does that make sense? Why salvation is important to God. What's the telos? What's the perfection of our salvation that God has in mind? Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. Very next sentence, after talking about people who were not yet perfect, people who were inexperienced and infants. And we might say, well, of course, none of us are perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we might even say, nobody can be perfect. You ever thought that or said that or believed that? We oftentimes say that whenever somebody points out some flaw in us. Hey, I'm not, I, I'm not perfect. Nobody is. Are you perfect? Yeah. And the implication is we at least want to say nobody can be, or that shouldn't even be our goal anyways. What does the Spirit say about that? Hebrews 6 and verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on 
to perfection. Did you hear what the scripture said earlier? Straight from Jesus' mouth in the passage that Cliff read for us? All the things that Jesus taught, all the morals and ethics and beliefs and all this stuff that he said, what did he say? Therefore, you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus was perfected as our savior so that we would be saved to perfection. Or to say it another way, Jesus was made perfect so that we would be made perfect. How does that make you, uh, what does that do to you? Do you talk about your Christianity that way? I'm supposed to be perfect. Now, some of us do, but we think about it in the wrong direction. I want to reiterate. Some of us look backwards, remember? We have that view of perfection that, well, I have all these flaws, therefore I'm not perfect. No, no, don't look backwards when you think about this notion of being perfect. Look forward to the end that we're supposed to reach. We are supposed to reach it. And might I add, I think every single human being, and especially Christians, all claim, oh, I can't be, you can't be perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. But we all believe that we're supposed to be. And we strive to be. Some of y'all strove to be, maybe all of us strove to be actually, in some way, shape or form, before we walked out of the house this morning. Some people may have spent a little more time than others, but you picked out certain clothes to wear because you thought this will be this will be right. This will be the right kind of outfit. You did your hair or did your lack of hair, whatever the case may be, to get ready to go out and look a certain way. You did your makeup in a certain way. This is the way I ought to be. I want there to be a package that looks appropriate and right. I want it. I want to look perfect. I do. That's what I want. I may feel bad because I'm not, but that's what I'm looking for. When it comes to our relationships, we see there's pieces missing. There may be a lot of good stuff going on in our family or our work relationships or whatever, but when there's little pieces missing, they just kind of gnaw at us. Oh, there's something missing. It's not quite right. It's not what it ought to be. It hasn't reached its telos. It hasn't become mature as it ought to be. It's not perfect and complete. We know. And especially when it comes to our spiritual life, you may have grown tremendously in the past year. And yet my guess is a lot of us, when we evaluate how we're doing in terms of our walk with the Lord, we're looking at the things that are still missing. That's not entirely bad or wrong, as long as we don't let that discourage us to despair. Because, of course, we know what God has said, that we are to go on to perfection. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what Jesus came to be made perfect himself so that he would make us perfect in the end. And there's many scriptures that speak to this. Ephesians 4 and verse 13 says that we're all supposed to be built up into a mature man or into the perfect man, into Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 13, 10 talks about uh, the, the perfect that God's people are to reach and attain. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 4 says that all the tests and trials and difficulties we go through, that what that's supposed to produce, let endurance have its perfect or complete or total result. And what is the result of our endurance? that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All the pieces put together. That's what it's all about. That's what we're going for. Now, here's the problem for us, I think. And I really want you to do a little inventory for yourself here. Whenever you reflect on this truth that Jesus was made perfect in order to make us perfect, Jesus was made perfect as our Savior so that we would be saved to perfection, Whenever you think about becoming perfect or being perfect, 
And you think about the pieces of your life that are not what they ought to be, that you're still growing. You're still pursuing that perfection that uh, that is in Christ. How are you pursuing it? On the days when something is missing, what do you utilize to be made perfect? You get what I'm saying? How do you try to put the pieces together in your life? I'm convinced that our problem is not that we cannot be made perfect. God wouldn't have said do it if it wasn't possible. And I don't even think it's that we don't want to be perfect. We very much want to be perfect in every aspect of life, really. Our problem is, is that we seek perfection in the wrong places. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. We're not the first people that have struggled with this. The Hebrews, by the way, uh, the people were struggling with basically this. They had become Christians. They had followed Jesus, and things weren't perfect. They weren't all that they ought to be yet. Their life certainly wasn't perfect. They were dealing with suffering and persecution and all that sort of thing. And maybe they had forgotten the things Jesus had said about rejoicing and being glad whenever you're persecuted. And so uh, they were drifting away. They were drifting back. And what they were doing wasn't necessarily just running headlong into stealing and, you know, being just overtly wicked. But what they had done is they said, you know, I remember my life before Christ. I remember the things that I used to, to complete my life. To, to mature, maybe those things are what I'm actually missing. And maybe those things, and I'll tell you, even in their proper place, things that were good things, maybe that's what will make me perfect. And this whole book was written to exhort these Christians, stop it. That is not going to make you perfect. That is not going to save you. That's not going to bring you to the desired end result that God has in mind for you. Stop trusting in the wrong sources of perfection. What were those? Look at Hebrews 7 and verse 11. Hebrews 7 and verse 11. This is a uh, conversation that that the Hebrew writer is having to tell them that, hey, you need to stop going to the human Levitical priests as your source of perfection. Listen to verse 11. It says, now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest, that is Jesus, to appear, said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of of Aaron. He's saying, listen, you guys are saying, Jesus, we love you, but we need these guys over here and they're going to make us perfect. You've done a great job, but these will finish the job. They'll complete us. They'll fix us up. What were they doing? What? what and I don't know. You struggling with that? You trying to find a Levitical priest to perfect your spiritual life? My guess is probably not. I don't even know where you'd find one, to be honest. But really what they were doing is they were looking to human relationships as the source of perfection. If I get close to this, even godly spiritual kind of person, that will make me perfect. That will complete me. Do you ever think like that? Do you ever pursue relationships in thinking, hey, the things that are missing inside of me, this will complete me. We do this when it comes to romantic pursuits. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm not all that ought to be. I'm not really, I'm not really fixed up yet. But if I just found that person, who was just this certain way, and if they they loved me and I loved them, it'd be perfect. And by the way, that's not just people who are not yet married or not married. It's also people who are in marriage. You can look at your spouse and be like, if they would just, or if they would just stop, or if they would, then I would be whatever I need to be. If they would do what's right, then I'll be perfect. Human relationships. We do this with family. Or, or friendships, just any kind of social. I need these. I need better friends, new friends. I need my family or whatever the case may be. I need these human relationships, and that's what will perfect me. 
The Spirit says no. And of course not. They're still incomplete themselves. They're regular old people like you and me who are wrecked with sin. Why do you think that they would perfect you when they've got to be perfected themselves? Relationships is one place, a wrong place we look to be perfected. Have you done that in recent days? Have you done that this year in your pursuit of growth in Christ? Have you thought, you know what I'm really missing is maybe these people. By the way, are people important in our pursuit of Christ? You bet. Read your Bible. You can't really follow Christ without loving godly relationships, but they're not your savior. They're not going to perfect you and complete you. Let me show you something else. Look at chapter 7 and verse 19. Chapter 7 and verse 19. We're we're just uh, plucking uh, statements out. I'm sorry. In the context, you can read it all in full. But to go along with the Levitical priesthood, the people of this day were also going back to the Torah, the law of Moses. But look at what the Spirit says about that in verse 19. Well, verse 18 says, So the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable for the law perfected nothing. The law perfected nothing. And there's a whole big rabbit trail. We go down on the, the Old Testament law and all that kind of stuff. But here's I'm just going to simplify this in this way. What was the law? What is any law? It's rules. Do this. Don't do that. If you do this, here's the penalty. If you do that, here's the reward. That's what the law was. It was rules. Rules will not perfect you. You ever tried to just get some rules and think, you know what? What am I missing? I need some better rules for my life. And if I follow these certain rules, then I'll be fine. Wake up at this time. Eat this kind of thing. Um, talk this way because everybody in society says I'm supposed to talk this way or not talk that way. So if I follow the rules, then I'll be fine. But does that really work? Have you found, did, you, did you do that this year? Did you try to grab a hold of any rules and say, this is a rule I'm going to live by, by? A rule for financial success or a rule for my work life. And, and by the way, the rules are you need to make sure to hit a certain success level or achievement in your career. Did that make you perfect? Did that complete you? Did that fix you whenever you followed all those rules that you set or that society set? Even the rules by themselves, the rules by themselves that God sets are said to not make you perfect. And yet some of us think if I follow the right rules, then I'll be perfect. Doesn't work. It's a faulty source of perfection. Let me show you one more Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine and verse nine, this conversation about the priesthood and the law led directly to what these people were doing, which was they were going back to the old covenant worship. They were burning incense. They were offering animal sacrifices. They were going to the temple and all this kind of stuff. But look at what Hebrews chapter nine and in verse nine says about all those worship rituals, all those rituals that they were engaging in. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. Chapter 10 and verse 1 echoes the same idea. Hebrews 10 and verse 1, since the law, that thing that the priests administered, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Those rituals will not perfect you, he says. You can engage in those rituals, but the rituals by themselves will not perfect you. Do you have any rituals that you've thought this will fix it? If I work out like this or this frequently, I'll be fixed. I'll be happier. I'll be fuller. I'll be complete as a person. If I, I don't know, I mean, fill in other rituals that you might go through. I'm going to meditate, not in the biblical sense of meditation, but in the Eastern sense of emptying my mind. And that's what I'm really missing. So I can be at peace and be whole and be complete and be perfect. And I'm going to go through those meditate. Did those rituals save you? Can I say something else? 
Did going to Bible study perfect you? I should say not. Did praying those prayers every day perfect you? Just showing up for worship every day, uh, every every first day of the week and any other time, the breath, does that perfect you by itself? No, no. Those rituals, any rituals, even the rituals God gave, the rituals themselves do not perfect. And yet sometimes, and so we get really frustrated sometimes. I don't get it. Basically, all my friends are Christians. All my relationships are Christian. And 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 I, I follow the rules, at least most of them. I mean, don't talk to me about some of them. But I mean, most of them, I, there are a lot of rules that I really follow. And I do the rituals. I read the Bible and I pray and I go to church. And yet I'm not. I'm not perfect. And actually, it really seems like I'm going further backwards into bad and further away from that end result, that telos that God has in mind, that perfection. What is wrong with me? Why am I not being made perfect? Have you ever felt like that before? If you haven't, then I thank God for that. But I say this to prepare you for the day when you no doubt will. And for those of us who have felt like that or do have that sense that something is not quite right, I'm not becoming more perfect all the time. I'm not going on to maturity, as Hebrews 6 1 said. I'm drifting back in the opposite. Why? What am I missing? What is it that made Jesus perfect? Did you notice that in those scriptures we read earlier? Because I think if he's our savior who's leading us on to perfection, well, look at what the text says Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. What's special about Jesus? What brought him to that perfection that he's said to have as our Savior? Hebrews 3 and verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Well, what should I consider about him? What does it mean that he's the one who's going to bring me to God and make me perfect? How did he do it? Verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all of God's house. What made Jesus perfect? He was faithful. Chapter 4 and verse 15 explains it further. For we do not have a high priest, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. What was it about Jesus? He stayed the course. He did what was right. Chapter 5 explains it again. Verse 7, we're reading a passage we read earlier. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence or his piety. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation. How was Jesus made perfect? Jesus was made perfect through his faith. Through his faith. Now, I don't mean maybe the way we sometimes use the word faith, which is Jesus believed stuff. Jesus didn't have to believe in God. He was God. He had seen God. He had been with God from eternity. But Jesus did have to live by faith. When the father told him things to do, Jesus did them. 
Whenever the Father gave him tasks to complete, Jesus saw them to their end. Jesus was allegiant to his Father. He was faithful to the Father. He was undivided in his loyalty to his Father. And he lived that out throughout his entire life. He was faithful. And that is what made him perfect. The perfection of Jesus, his sufferings, his obedience, all the things that he did in life was a demonstration of his faithfulness so that he reached the end of his life and he could truly say on the cross, it is finished. He had done his perfect work all the way to the end. He had become perfect as our savior because of his faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 12 says it this way. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter, I'll come back to that in just a second, of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. You see how many faith words there are in this little passage about Jesus, I mean. Right there in verse uh, 2, he is the perfecter of our faith. Uh, He endured the cross, verse 2 says. Uh, He despised the shame. In other words, he didn't let the shame take him off course. He kept going through it. Verse 3, he endured hostility. Jesus was faithful. Jesus was made perfect by his faith or by his faithfulness, by his loyalty, by his allegiance to God. What does that have to do with us? Does that mean that we just say, great, Jesus was allegiant to God. Jesus was loyal. Jesus lived by faith. And so we're just saved. We get it. But we get to Jesus' faith just counts for us. That's it. Maybe to some degree, that's that's a little bit of the story, but that's not the whole thing. Look at verse two again. What is what does it say about Jesus's faith? The faith that made him perfect, the faithfulness, the loyalty of God that made him perfect. What does this text say about that for us? It says that he was the and I my guess is we could go around the room and every person's translation to say something different. Mine says the source. Yours may say the author or uh, the originator or um, I really like the old King James translation here, the captain uh another one that i actually like even more than all the others because it's very picturesque is he is the pioneer the pioneer of our faith this is a word that's only used four times it's used twice in the book of hebrews twice in the book of acts and every time it's a word that talks about somebody who goes first and who others will follow it's used back there in hebrews 2 he's the author or the pioneer of our salvation here though it doesn't say that he's the pioneer of our salvation It says that he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Do you get the imagery here? Jesus was made perfect by living faithfully to God, loyally to God. He was allegiant to God in all things. But he didn't just do that, and that's the end of the story. Jesus was a pioneer. He wasn't a pioneer. He was the pioneer of perfection. He was the pioneer of true faithfulness to God. He was the true pioneer of real perfection that all human beings are striving for. And that's why whenever Jesus came to earth, he didn't say things to people like, hey, come and watch me. 
or hey, come and think good things about me, or hey, come and sing songs about me. What did he say when he would meet people? Do you remember? Come follow me. I'm blazing the trail. Now you come and follow behind. And that's why he would tell us to do things like he did. He came and he was poor, and so he called us to be poor in spirit. He mourned over sin and death, and so he bids us to be those who mourn and are thus comforted by him. He was the one who was meek and lowly of heart, where we find rest for our souls. And so he told us, blessed are the meek. For you, if you are meek, you will inherit the earth. If you are like me, if you follow the trail that I've blazed, I'm pioneering this path of faith, faithfulness to God. Jesus was hungry and thirsty for righteousness all the way to the cross. And so he calls us to hunger and thirst for righteousness beyond the righteousness of the religious world. Righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus says, you got to hunger for the real stuff, the perfect righteousness of God. That's what you're going for because that's what I'm going for. That's the path that will bring you to perfection. Jesus showed mercy to all those who were in need of mercy. And then he said, you show the same mercy to your fellow man. Go and do likewise when you see those who are in need. Jesus had a heart that was purely devoted to God. And he warns us, don't get caught up in all these things of the world and money and success. Have a heart that's pure for God so that you'll be his sons and daughters. That's what it's all about. Jesus made peace between man and God and between men, and he bids us to be, you get the point, right? His persecution isn't just something we're supposed to be moved by, but we say, I'm going to enter into that. His faith must be our faith. The faithfulness of Jesus brought his perfection. And if we are to be made perfect, it's only going to be by faith. And that's not thinking good things. That's doing things like no more angry speaking. No more behaving out of anger because I'm walking by faith in Jesus. He didn't live that way, so I'm not going to live that way. No more lust of the flesh. No more sexual lust. Jesus wouldn't have done that. He didn't do that. And I'm following in his path, the path that he blazed for me. He's the captain leading the army out to be faithful in our marriage, to be faithful in our speech, to be people who are good to those who are our enemies, just like he did. You get it, right? Jesus was made perfect by his faith, and we are made perfect when we follow in the path that he has pioneered, the path of faith. Is that a little bit overwhelming to you? You need to have faith like Jesus. You need to be as faithful to Jesus as Jesus was faithful to the Father. Now we're right back where we started. I guess perfection is not possible after all. But I know it must be. Because God keeps talking about it. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Hebrews 10 and verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, Hebrews 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Notice Jesus' blood goes first. We follow in after. We're following the trail that he's blazed. That he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Don't give up, he says. Keep being loyal to God. Keep being faithful to God, just as Jesus was, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on, endure. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who has promised is faithful. And that's the whole point of this ritual right here that God's given us. It is a ritual to come together and worship. What do verses 24 and 5 say about this? This is why we do this. 
It's not just be like, all right, I guess going to church is going to make me perfect. No, stirring each other up to love and good work, stirring each other up to faithfulness is what it's all about. It apparently is possible because God says, here's how you do it. Hold on to that confession. Don't give up. Verse 35 of the same chapter, Hebrews 10 and verse 35, Hebrews 10 and verse 35 says, so don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward for you need endurance. Just like Jesus endured, you need endurance. So that and when after you have done God's will, just like Jesus did God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by his faithfulness, his faith, his loyalty, that he's allegiant to God the Father through Jesus the Son by his Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. That's how we're going to be made perfect. That's how we're going to survive. But if he draws back, if he's not faithful, if he departs from the way that Jesus pioneered, my soul has no pleasure in him, but, and, and maybe I should pause. This is where we come back to. I know my track record. I can look backwards and see all the imperfections of the past. How could I ever reach the perfection of Jesus? How could I ever live by the faith of Jesus to reach his perfection? How could I ever get there? Verse 39 seems to think, the spirit seems to think we can. We are not of those who draw back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith to the salvation of our souls. And then this chapter um, is put in Scripture to help us with, I think, the, the disturbing notion that we're to be made perfect by faith, by the very faith of Jesus himself. You may look at Jesus' faithfulness and say, I'm not there. I can't even imagine getting there. Fair enough. Can you imagine having the faith that a prostitute had? She didn't know much, but she knew there was a God over Israel who ruled over all the nations. And if there was any way she could get on his good side, she was going to do it by faith. Could you have the faith of a really insecure and selfish, conniving young man? Jacob eventually grew up but his initial days of faith were just a man who knew God as his father's God, not even his God. But he still prayed to him. And he did say, if you bring me success, I'll worship you as my God. Could you have a faith like that right now? Could you have the faith of uh, a very scared man whose people are being invaded? So much so that he had to hide out as he thresh the wheat so that he and his family have something to eat. And whenever an angel came and said, hey, you're a mighty warrior for God, he looked around and he said, who, me? Gideon did that. Could you have faith like that? I know Jesus' faithfulness may seem like too much, but can you have faith like that? Can you have faith like a woman who laughed in God's face whenever he made a magnificent promise to her? Actually just repeated a promise that he'd made to her? That's what Sarah did. Whenever the angel came and said, about this time next year, you're going to have a baby, she laughed in God's face. Could you have faith that much? She did. We may think that faith, the faith of Jesus is too much for us, but it isn't, y'all. It isn't. Look at Hebrews 11 and verse 39. It says, all these... All these, the kinds of people I just mentioned, and many more. People who were murderers. People who were adulterers. 
people who were just foolish, drunker, all these kinds of bad things. I'm not saying that was the whole manner of their life. But what I'm saying is that various spotlights of their life, that's exactly who they were. They were weak. They were pathetic. They were not what they ought to be. They were the furthest thing from perfect imaginable. But Hebrews 11 verse 39 says, all these were approved through their faith. All these people came to please God. They reached the desired end that God had for them. They were made perfect by their faith, but they didn't receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. And I guess I should amend my statement earlier. They really weren't made perfect. They weren't complete. They weren't whole. So that they would not be made perfect without us. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses, people bearing witness to yes, perfection by faith is possible. You may look at Jesus and think it's impossible. I could never reach that perfection. I could never live by his faithfulness. Yes, you can, these people say to us. Abel and David and Rahab and Sarah and all the others that tell us, yes, imperfectly as you may have been thus far, you can reach the perfection that God has in store for you when you live by faith, when you follow the path that the Messiah has blazed for us, the one who's the captain of our salvation. When he sounds the charge, go. When he points you to the path, walk it. And don't say, it's not possible for me. I can't become. I'm just hopeless. I'll never get there. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. When we lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance. The race that Jesus Christ has set before us. Keeping our eyes on him, the author and perfecter, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. When Jesus was born, he was not perfect. And neither are we. But by his faith, he was made perfect. And so will we.